One is a comedic romp through an artificially cheerful setting, the other a much stranger and slightly more horrific take through a much bleaker, more sterile atmosphere. Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. They remade it. back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. Uh, just a lovely spring-slash-winter-slash-spring-slash-winter day we're having. <laughs> I was gonna say spring. It snowed yesterday. Yeah, uh, like yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. It's <laughs> like, you know, this will be dated by now, but um, yeah, it's been weird with the weather. And I know that's what we usually start with, with the weather, because it's the most universal thing. But you know what? This one was particularly interesting. It was very odd. I'm not used to it really snowing this late in the year. I know it's happened. My my mother has told me numerous times that my sister, who was born uh, late in April, it snowed the day she was born. So I, I know it does happen, but it's not often that you really see it. I feel like that's an old wives' tales omen. It's like you know, a late, a, a late, you know, a, a spring snow with a child being born on the same day. I feel like there's some legends around that. I'll have to do some. I'll have to do some research. Hopefully, she isn't abducted by a goblin or something. I mean, worst case scenario, she'll just bring blight to crops. But best case scenario, she's a secret queen. Well, we have not had any good luck with crops in the in the past, so it's probably the former, unfortunately. Fair enough. Yeah. But, you know, other than the, tr- other than your tragic wives' tales, um, <laughs> how, how you been doing? What you been seeing? Oh, I've been doing good. I saw a couple of new things. So, uh, sort of to start this off, a couple weeks ago, I got a text from a mutual friend of ours uh, who had just seen Godzilla vs. Kong. And he Brad. and he said, the moment you see it, uh, text me back your thoughts because I want to know your honest opinion. All right. <laughs> I, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so I watched Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween. <laughs> I don't know what I expected there, honestly. <laughs> um, so I, I did <laughs> I, I did end up watching Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, but okay. I, I watched Goosebumps 2 first. Um, OK, cool. I, I, yeah. So, I ended up watching that. It was strange, I'll say. I I was I don't remember if you were there. We were definitely living together at the time. I just don't remember if you were actually present for it when we all watched the first Goosebumps oh, yeah, I was. movie. You were okay. I don't remember who all was there. Just that it was a group of people. Um, uh, yeah, it, there's vague memories of it. Yeah, and I actually was a decent enough fan of it i thought it was well made and it even though i wasn't like the biggest goosebumps fan it was cool to be like oh yeah that's 
that that's the mantis i remember seeing that on the covers and that's the blob i saw that those on the covers really the covers of the books it's it's yeah. book I mean, that's what the movie. that's all everyone ever remembers exactly so this one's a little bit different in that slappy the dummy is the only goosebumps monster in it and he essentially casts like a magic spell or something to make a halloween store full of costumes come to life so it's slappy and then it's a bunch of like generic witches and zombies and whatever which is like okay i feel like this is a marked downgrade yeah. but okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is saying something for the fucking goosebumps movie <laughs> Because, like, the whole thing about the first is, like, R.L. Stein has all these books, and when you open them, the contents of the book come to life. And the first movie is all of his books get open, so they all come to life. This one is, like, he left behind a manuscript for a book he never finished, and Slappy's in it, and that one gets opened, and Slappy comes to life. And that's it. So, I would say, I would say downgrade, yes. Yeah. Uh, like I feel like the second that seems the second one seems like the the setup to the sequel that is oh all of them oh get open now, it's it's like yeah, it's like th- that's like the introductory episode of the series. <laughs> it's like oh he, this establishes the mechanic and then by the end it's like jump the shark. But th- the really strange thing about this movie, Jack Black shows up in it. I oh. I did not think he was present for this movie. Granted, yeah. he's not present a lot. He's in a total of two and a half minutes of the entire movie okay. sporadically. So I don't know if that was a him thing or if it was whoever wrote the script and they were like, oh, we got to get him in here because his scenes felt very shoehorned in. So it, it was either scheduling on his part or it was like a script conflict or something. Because those mm-hmm. are usually the two cases. But like you can tell... He, he, he shows up, he drives into the town, and it's a scene, he gets out of the car, and he's looking around, he's like, oh, witches! And then it cuts to witches chasing the kids down the street, and you're like, yeah, clearly Jack Black showed up for like 30 minutes to film one day. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, he's fucking Jack Black. Like, he's got better things, I imagine. Although, actually, now that I say that, I don't know if he necessarily does, but that's mostly just because he's just kind of vibing. He's got that YouTube channel, I assume, is still there. Guess. I, like, you know. <laughs> have no idea yeah, that video where he, he had a video where he fucking danced to the wop song which by now is ancient history uh, in internet terms but still yeah like, pretty he's much. just out there doing his thing he's existing it's it's all good but but yeah the, the best take i've ever seen in recent <laughs> history about like there's always the jokes about like modern gods and everything so i'm pointing out it's like he is technically canonically the biggest best representation of dionysus <laughs> <laughs> It's like party dude who's just kind of having a good time. <laughs> yeah, kind of feral. I can see that. He's he's in the pantheon yeah. now with uh, Bill Murray and someone else. Some other. I'm trying to think. I shudder to think what God Bill Murray represents. <laughs> I'm not sure. I just know that people people always sort of attribute him to a god of chaos because he deliberately goes out of his way to interrupt people's days, just like on the street or people having events. He he. He there was even a movie made about it where they like compared Bill Murray to Bigfoot because he's constantly interrupting people's events to make appearances and then just leaving. I mean, you know what? When you're at that point in life, right? It's just you got to You got to want to do it. I guess he's not afraid of the publicity. So that's all I really had to say on the Goosebumps movie, though. The Goosebumps two, I guess, haunted Halloween, as it were. Um, yeah, I could. I couldn't imagine there was much. 
Not really. But the other... Now to to the main event. (laughs) The other new thing I watched was Godzilla vs. Kong. And um, I'll say up front, I liked it more than I liked the 2014 Godzilla and King of the Monsters. I have not seen Kong Skull Island, so I can't comment on that movie's quality. But I actually did... I still have plenty of problems with it, and I can't say overall I'm a fan of mm. Godzilla v Kong, but I I think it's, in my opinion, it's the best of this little saga they've been putting out in recent years. That's fair. The characters weren't as overbearingly annoying as they've been in the past. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would probably like. You would probably like uh, Kong Skull Island. Um. The characters are are pretty, not as bad, and the like at the very least, the kind of the emotional heart of the movie for once isn't with like a little kid; it's with John C. Riley. <laughs> That's great because the emotional heart of Kong v or Godzilla v Kong is a little kid. Exactly, so, exactly I know. So fuck, <laughs> I need to yeah, see yeah, you, Skull Island. <laughs> yeah, you you'd like it, I'm sure. I want to see a giant monkey interacting with Doctor Steve Brule. How did, how would they get along? But uh, they're, they're apparently pretty good friends. <laughs> that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Too bad John C. Riley didn't show up here. But yeah, well, I mean, like canonically, he'd be like in his 80s. Oh, <laughs> is it, is it Kong's, Kong's Skull Island takes place in like the 70s or something? There you go. That's lore I was not aware of. But yeah. uh, any anywho, um, this is it's just another case of too much Hollywoodization. I guess, you know, too much interference from the top. It has to right. be. I can't imagine that... Because the fight sequences are at least relatively cool in the movie, but the, everything that surrounds it is so bland, and we keep getting movies like this, I can't imagine that it's it's screenwriters and scriptwriters. It can't be. It can't be. It mm. can't all be at their fault, you know. It, it has to be executive decisions and notes coming down that you have to take at some point. Because that's where the disconnection usually is, and yeah, and in this case, it's just all of this. And I won't obviously, I won't go too heavy into act too many details, just because it's still relatively new for anyone that may be listening. But just all the the backstory and the lore that they're constantly trying to attribute to these characters. And this deep-seated yeah. rivalry, rivalry that has existed for forever. You don't need that. I'm not asking for a movie that's literally nothing but kaiju fights because I understand that that's not necessarily a good movie. It, it may be fun to watch, but you have to have you do have to have some semblance of plot. I get that. It's just they they're focusing too much on shit that doesn't matter, and I think they're worrying about oh well, people are going to be curious. Godzilla can't just and and this goes back to King of the Monsters. This isn't just a Godzilla v Kong problem, but it's like people can't just say Godzilla lives under the sea. Where does he live? You know, and there I I think there's way too much of that. It bothers me. Yeah, I, I kind of get that too. Like, and I I like the movies well enough. <clears throat> I definitely I wish I liked the original Godzilla more, but the fact that it goes out of its way to cut away from all the badass scenes. Yeah. Um. Is just like I can't fucking support that. Um, 
But at the very least, it did keep it pretty simple uh, comparatively. It's kind of, It's got the same problem that the modern, that Doom Eternal has. Uh, have you ever played that one? Yeah. Yeah, it's like they try to create lore for the Doom guy. And like in the with the DLC, it comes up with like I think a canonical ending for the whole fucking deal, which is crazy. Um, but it's it creates this whole fucking thing of, you know, Satan is actually God or some crazy bullshit and everything going around it, and how the Doom guy is like a reincarnation of Satan or some bullshit. Where it's like, I kind of just liked it when he was a dude who <laughs> killed demons, and for the first game, and for a lot of chunks in the second game, that's all he is, and that's all he needs to be. And he even deliberately is like. Hi, yes, I see that all these humans are literally worshipping me like a god, but I truly do not care because I am physically only capable of caring about killing demons, and so it, that's what makes it funny. <laughs> exactly. I, I get that these things have, they have to have a story, and I probably yeah. would not want to watch two hours of just straight a monkey and a lizard beating the shit up out of each other. It's fun, the fights are fun, but I wouldn't want to watch it for two hours, I get that. It's just the... The plots don't have to be that complicated. You don't have to have all these twists and turns and the son of the doctor who's using telepathic waves from the sky. Stop it. Stop. Yeah. Think about what you're doing for a second. To be fair, apparently a lot of, like, as the other, like, the original series of Godzilla movies went, they also started to get that way, apparently. So it's, like, it's hardly anything new. Oh, they definitely did. I've seen a number of those Toho ones and some of the... But they're goofy. Like yeah, it's that's, never, yeah, that's it's a, never like taking itself really seriously. They have fun with it. I, I Godzilla versus Biolante, I think, is still my favorite, <laughs> my favorite Toho one, and a lot of people yeah. overlook it, uh, and I'm, I'm really not sure why. But um, you, you are right. They, I mean, because they, they, they were make, they got to like thirty or forty films in that series. So, you know, yeah. they have they start experimenting and trying to pull in other things. Uh, but again, yeah, they they sort of knew what they were making and it was never too. It was it was never taken too seriously, which I, I appreciate. Yeah. Um, <sighs> but those It'll are my grades. At, <laughs> it, it'll never be as good as Pacific Rim. <laughs> no, no, that's that's true. No, that's. Uh, we hit that pinnacle and that's really kind of all we need i still have not seen uh the second one it's bad okay good yeah yeah, don't worry about it (laughs) don't watch pacific rim 2 watch kong skull island i have my priorities straight yep yeah the second pacific rim is like a really bad episode of the power rangers whereas the original pacific rim is like an amazing episode of the power rangers (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what episode of the power rangers that would be but i want to see it I don't know. It's the, it's this movie. <laughs> oh man! Oh, but wh- what about yeah. you? I've talked long enough. Uh, I've watched I think a few, a couple things this time around. Uh, continuing with the, you know, Marvel rewatches with Hannah. Um, I can't remember if we had watched Iron Man three before the last one. You didn't mention or it or not? Okay, yeah, yeah, we would have watched that since then. Um. So I watched that, and just the other day watched uh, Thor 2, The Dark World, which I honestly, like, a lot of people give that one shit. That one I actually really like. I love the Thor movies a lot, just because I think it just really 
has fun with the aesthetics that they're doing. Thor Dark World especially hits it, though, because, like, watching the original Thor again, it's so dated with the <laughs> CG and everything. And just the clearly they didn't have that much budget to work with yet. But Thor 2, they actually have all this money for huge sets and these big set pieces and everything. And um, it just it nails this idea of, like, you know, mythological like Norse mythology meets literal existing sci-fi and it plays it so well. And it just, it's, it's cool as hell to watch. Hmm. Now I, Um, I have not seen the second Thor movie and I'm, I've seen some of these movies as I've stated in the past, but at this point you are much more a Marvel expert than I am. If you were compared to me, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. I was about to say, (laughs) so, uh, but correct so correct me if i'm wrong but i believe from what i've heard a lot of people's problems with dark world were the villain or the villainous i think uh no it's villain uh it's a it's a guy oh is it um yeah the the third one has oh a okay well see That's there you go likes. <laughs> um so it was a villain but i can kind of see that it's kind of the whole conflict in general it's kind of vague, and they don't really set it up very well, and it just, like, culminates in a pretty weird set piece of, like, they end up going to Greenwich, England, that is apparently the center of all realities closing in on each other, where it's, like, it feels very kind of, like, like, strung out, like, they're, tr- like, like, they had to justify going to these particular locations that were probably either cheaper, or they had, like, a reason to financially go there. Um, so it was somehow both generic and also kind of incomprehensible at times. Um, so the plot of it does suck. I will say that. Okay. Uh, okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that basically, that's basically the sum up of it. it like the plot of it is kind of just like pretty paper thin. It's just this whole generic thing of evil guy wants to bring darkness to all of reality. And he's going to do that by, you know, using a portal that links all worlds together. It's like, okay. Yeah. We've seen all this before. Um, my main thing of it, though, is just, like, I think it just looks cool. That's really it. I mean, um, that's that's definitely a good reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, then, I the, like, like I said, also Iron Man 3. That one's fine. It's Iron Man. It, it can get a little stale at times, but, you know, that's kind of how it goes. Um, and other than that, I watched myself um, the Wes Anderson movie Isle of Dogs. Oh, you finally saw Isle of Dogs. Um, yep, I finally did. It was awesome. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it, it popped up on Disney Plus now for some reason. What? Um, I don't know. Maybe they own that production company. Um, but yeah, it popped up, and I, I was just kind of, I was just kind of browsing because I was like, I don't want to play a video game tonight, and I saw that pop up. And I was like, fuck yeah! And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, you know, classic Wes Anderson darkness but also wittiness um very deadpan um i don't know what the fuck can i say about it it's a it's a movie about stop motion dogs in japan right it was very aesthetic i still whenever i think about isle of dogs i don't think about the plot or the characters or the voice actors i think specifically of that moment i mentioned on the show where (laughs) the movie uh the movie won like two or three annie awards at the annies but no mm. one, no one ever claimed the awards, and at the last one, the, whoever was presenting the award was just like, "Did anyone from this movie show up?" <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think the last oh one God. was like Brian Cranston won for best vocal performance. He was like, Hot. did anyone show up for this movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they probably, they, yeah, I can't imagine. I don't know why that one didn't, I guess it didn't make as much of a public impact as it, as most of his other movies, which is kind of weird. I, I think I, I said it last time too, but I was not even aware of it until it was already out for a while. I never saw any ads for it. Yeah, that one was kind of weird. And like even like kind of looking at it, you can kind of see it's not quite the usual style of his. And I think he just like, you know, I really don't know. I, I, I honestly don't. I loved it. I think it was a nice departure. Um, just like the fact that it was so centered on a different culture. And just like it, just unironically was like, yeah, no, they just speak Japanese. Fuck it. <laughs> we usually set it in these fictional locations, but this is in literal Japan. Exactly. Of course, they they did had they ended up having to bring in uh, the American girl at one point. Yeah. At the school, just for but, a little a little levity there. Yeah. But. Um. Yeah. No. Uh, I I loved it. Funny. Yeah. I. I'm still looking forward to his next one, which I think is called The French Dispatch. Um, don't know when that's coming out. I just saw the one trailer. And like like we've said multiple times by now, the release date situation is going to be... Uh, excuse me. The release date situation is going to be kind of nebulous for a while. Oh, yeah. Everything's everything's up in the air. Yeah. Huh. That, did you, did you but, see uh, that photo oh, of... Sorry, you just reminded me because you're talking of, like, filming and production schedules and whatever, but did you did you see that photo that's been circulating of the Sonic 2 development where it's like... No. They made, they made figures, like, scale replicas of Sonic, tails and knuckles, and had them posed for the movie. Oh, damn. And they, okay, they so got Knuckles re- confirmed for the second one, then? Pretty much, yeah. It's just out there at this point. Knuckles is... Knuckles is going to be in it, and he he, cool. he doesn't have his boom design. Thankfully, I'm I'm not a big fan of that triangle. Yeah, no. Dorito. Yeah, I like his personality. All right, I, I think it's fine, but I don't like the design. Yeah, I wonder if he'll do the um, like the original thing where he was a villain for a while. I'm not sure Which because could... I haven't I haven't heard anything about uh. Robotnik and Jim Carrey being in the second one yet. And I guess they could make Knuckles a villain without including Eggman, but then it would stray pretty heavily from the games. Yeah. So who knows? I I feel like they're going to stray pretty heavily from anything. <laughs> like I think sky's the limit with this shit. I guess the first movie did have like a bird mom that raised yeah. Sonic, so I guess we're already past that point. <laughs> yeah. And I think honestly, the more we avoid going towards like the later two, like the early two thousands games, the better. Because God knows there's going to be a reinvigoration on DeviantArt. Yeah. Uh, every oh, everyone, God. get ready so to scared. Google your name, the Hedgehog, again. You'll probably get new results for the first time in years. Oh Christ! <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm hoping to God that it stays like kind of like. The first movie, it did fine. It was very family friendly. It just it kept a very kind of neutral tone throughout the whole thing. It was just fun. It didn't have to start getting weird. It very nearly did in the scenes where he, you know, had his shoes off, and we even <laughs> discussed it on a previous episode where we if they had kept the original the design of Sonic, who didn't wear socks, we would have seen Sonic's bare feet, <laughs> and that would have been hell. <laughs> but we oh. thankfully avoided it, and so there is hope. 
Oh, God. I, I need to see that movie in a theater. Oh, yeah, same, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Want to meet up again for Sonic 2 2023? Fuck yeah! <laughs> see it. Oh. Back to the Alamo. It's finally opening back up. Oh, thank God. I'll, I'll, I'll meet you there. Woo! <laughs> uh, anyway, speaking of ungodly horrors that could have been, could have purged the world. Hey! Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're talking about some Wonka this time. I have a biased opinion on one of these, but I will get to that later. I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm conflicted still. Oh, boy. So starting off, we'll be talking about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from 1971, directed by Mel Stewart. Mmm. Oh, God. <laughs> it's me mixed with Mel uh, Brooks. I almost said Mel Gibson. Uh, that's what I, where I thought you were going, yes. You know. It's not Mel Torme. Oh, God. In a small town, Charlie Bucket, played by Peter Ostrom, a poor paperboy, watches children visit a candy shop. While walking home, he passes Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. A mysterious tinkerer recites the first lines of William Allingham's poem, The Fairies, and then tells Charlie that nobody ever goes in and nobody ever comes out, alluding to the chocolate factory. Charlie rushes home to his widowed mother and bedridden grandparents. That night, Charlie tells his grandpa Joe, played by Jack Albertson, what the tinkerer said, and Joe reveals that Wonka locked the factory because other candy makers, including his arch-rival, Arthur Slugworth, sent in spies to steal his recipes. Wonka shut down the factory, but resumed selling candy after three years. The origin of Wonka's labor force currently is unknown. Later, Wonka announces he has hidden five golden tickets in chocolate Wonka bars. Finders of the tickets will receive a factory tour and a lifetime supply of chocolate. The first four tickets are found by the gluttonous Augustus Gloop, played by Philip Vigritz, or Vigritz, uh, the spoiled Veruca Salt, played by Julie Dawn Cole, whose family is wealthy in the nut business. The gum-chewing Violet Beauregard, played by Denise Nickerson. And the television-obsessed Mike TV, played by Paris Femin. As each winner is announced on television, a sinister-looking man whispers to them. A subsequent news report reveals the fifth ticket was found in Paraguay by a millionaire casino owner, causing Charlie to lose hope. The next day, Charlie finds money in a gutter and uses it to buy a Wonka scrumdiddlyumptious bar. With the change, he buys a regular Wonka bar for his Uncle Joe. While walking home, Charlie overhears that the millionaire forged the fifth ticket. Charlie opens his Wonka bar and finds the fifth ticket hiding inside. 
Rushing home, he encounters the same man seen whispering to the other winners, who introduces himself as Slugworth and offers a reward for a sample of Wonka's latest creation, the Everlasting Gobstopper. Returning home with the golden ticket, Charlie chooses his Uncle Joe, who, in excitement, rises out of bed for the first time in 20 years as his chaperone. The next day, Wonka, played by Gene Wilder, greets the ticket winners and leads them inside, where each signs a contract before the tour. The factory includes a candy land with a river of chocolate and other sweets. The visitors, of course, eventually meet Wonka's labor force, small men known as Oompa Loompas. Individual character flaws caused the other winners, aside from Charlie, of course, to give in to temptation, resulting in their elimination from the tour while the Oompa Loompas sing a song of morality after each. Augustus ends up uh, falling into the Chocolate River and getting sucked up a pipe and sent to the fudge room. Violet Beauregard takes a piece of gum that simulates three-course meal and ends up turning into a giant blueberry. She is then rolled to the juicing room. Veruca Salt uh, steps onto a platform meant for golden eggs and falls into the garbage chute heading towards the incinerator. And Mike TV ends up uh, getting into a transporter and shrunk. Yeah. Yeah, science isn't a big thing back then. <laughs> Not in the 70s. You could do anything in the 70s. While the tour continues, of course, along the way, Charlie and Uncle Joe enter a room with fizzy lifting drinks and sample the drinks against Wonka's orders. They float and have a near-fatal encounter with the exhaust fan at the top of the room before their burping allows them to descend back to the ground. As the tour ends, Charlie and Joe, of course now the only two remaining guests, ask about what will become of the other children, and Wonka assures them that they will be fine. Wonka then retreats to his office without awarding them the promised lifetime supply of chocolate. Grandpa Joe and Charlie enter his office to ask about this, where Wonka angrily informs them they have violated his contract when they drank the fizzy lifting drinks, thereby forfeiting their prize. Joe denounces Wonka and suggests to Charlie that he should give Slugworth the gobstopper in retaliation, but Charlie returns the candy to Wonka instead. Wonka excitedly then declares Charlie the winner and reveals that Slugworth was actually an employee named Mr. Wilkinson. The offer to buy the gobstopper was a morality test for the children, which only Charlie passed. The trio enter the Wonka Vader, a multi-directional glass elevator that flies out of the factory and soar over the city. While soaring, Wonka reveals he created the contest to find someone worthy enough to assume control of his factory when he retires, and he gives it to Charlie and his family. So now, uh, talking about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 2005, directed by Tim Burton, with the exception of a couple things thrown in the middle and then the ending of the movie, which is uh, expanded upon quite a lot, uh, the plots are relatively similar, so I'll just go over some of the differences here and then I'll read the cast. Um, so firstly, Charlie actually has a present father uh, who has a job screwing toothpaste caps onto tubes of toothpaste before he gets replaced. Um, the egg-laying geese from Veruca's section of the first movie are replaced with squirrels cracking nuts in this version. Um, the, the main difference, though, comes with Wonka. He, he has various flashbacks to his past, uh, where his father, played by Christopher fucking Lee, throws shit into fires all the time. Because, um, of course, he fucking does. And there's a prolonged sequence at the end where Charlie actually refuses Wonka's offer so he can stay with his family, which leads Wonka to reconcile with his father, blah, blah, blah. And that sort of ties all together. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> and in both cases, Grandpa Joe is scum. I hate Grandpa Joe, but we'll talk about that. <laughs> we will get to that. 
Okay, so now on to uh, the cast list for 2005. Uh, we have Freddie Highmore as Charlie Bucket, David Kelly as Grandpa Joe, Helena Bonham Carter, of course, as Mrs. Bucket, Noah Taylor as Mr. Bucket, Johnny Depp, of course, is Willy Wonka, Christopher fucking Lee is Dr. Wonka, um... Deep Roy. And yes, we are going to refer to, and we are going to refer to him as Christopher Fucking Lee probably this entire time. Every time I say his name, because I, ugh, we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> Deep Roy plays the Oompa Loompas. Uh, it's 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 all him, baby, all over the place. Um, With vocal work by Danny Elfman, apparently. <laughs> Which I keep forgetting, he has a very deep voice. It's. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so we have Philip Vigritz is Augustus Gloop. Uh, Franziska Trogner is Mrs. Gloop. Apologies if I don't pronounce these names correctly. I don't speak German. Um, I think it might be Trogner. Trogner. I got the WV thing, I think, down. So we're, yeah. we're close. <laughs> um, Anna Sophia Robb plays Violet. Missy Pyle plays Mrs. Beauregard. Julia Winter is Veruca Salt. James Fox is Mr. Salt. Jordan Fry plays Mike TV. And Adam Godley plays Mr. TV. Uh, and a sort of tack on to that, Jeffrey Holder is the voice of the narrator. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. For a second there, I was thinking, wow. I, I, like when they said vocal work, because it, it reveals at the end that it's a Oompa Loompa narrating it. I was thinking for a second, I was like, wow, Danny Elfman has a very deep voice. It wasn't Danny Elfman. (laughs) Danny Elfman did a lot of the singing, but the actual narrator was, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I I was thinking about that for a second. It's like, wait a minute, Jack Skellington isn't a bass. (laughs) And also, (laughs) um, let me type, uh, uh, tack this on as well. I think I got that mixed up when I was reading the plots. I I said that Augustus Gloop was played by Philip Weitgartner or whatever in 71, as well as 2005, but in 71, he was actually played by Michael Bolner. So, ah, that is correct. Course. Just some crossed wires there. Cool. Gotcha. So, full circle then, or am I missing something? Full circle, sorry. Okay, so we have a number of them this time around, approximately six. Uh, but only one for the 71 version. Uh, and that is the most obvious one with Gene Wilder playing Willy Wonka and also being Frederick Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein. Cool. Now... God, he's crazy. <laughs> he's nuts. But now for uh, 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, we have David Kelly, who plays Grandpa Joe... He was also vicar in 1969's The Italian Job. Oh, wow. I don't remember okay. that character, so I'd have to look it up. Um, I, well, I would assume he literally just plays a vicar. Yeah, so. I just don't... If, I, what am I talking about? I don't remember anything about that movie. Yeah, no. <laughs> I remember Michael Caine talking funnily, but that's about it. Yes, and the, the, the car stunt, the car show that happened. Um... Yeah, the stunt show that we bought tickets for. <laughs> you had the Blue Angels flying overhead. Um, yeah. Okay, so Helena Bonham Carter was Mrs. Bucket. 
and she also played Rose in Ocean's 8. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, actually, I forgot to include it here in my full circle list, but she was also in Alice in Wonderland as, um, oh, yeah. I'm drawing a blank, the Red Queen. Jeez, yep. the Queen of Hearts, Red Queen. Okay. Um, Nitin, oh, jeez, Nitin Ganatra plays Prince Pondicherry in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Might be Nitine. Nitine. You know better than me in these, I I assume. I I shouldn't be assumed as an authority here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guess what, folks? We're white and we're American. We don't know shit. Yes, he is, uh, he... Yeah, he pl- he plays an Indian prince in this in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and he was also August Swain in 2019's Hellboy. Fairly recent. Don't remember that character, but I feel like I I sort of remember it, but I cannot place it. It's Prince uh, Pondicherry. I remember that. That yes. is the one bit I remember. But like the random thing, it's like I think I just like the name. It, it is a good. It is a good name. Yeah. Um, we, uh, also, we, Noah Taylor plays Mr. Bucket, Charlie's father in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He was also Bryce in 2001's Tomb Raider, Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Oh, that's where I fucking recognize him. And finally, we have Deep Roy, who, uh, was Oompa Loompa, just every Oompa Loompa in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, he was yep. the puppeteer for the Tin Man in Return to Oz, 1985. Um, oh. But I was so interested in Deep Roy, I did a bit more digging, and he actually kind of shows up in a couple other things that we've covered. Uh, he was a stunt performer in the Muppet movie, though it's not elaborated on what stunts he did. And he was also Warwick Davis's personal stuntman in the 1993 film Leprechaun. Huh. So, we've actually wow. seen him a, a fair amount. This dude does a lot. <laughs> He's a hardy fella. That he is. I recommend everyone check out his uh, his IMDb. It's not, like, super long, but it's very interesting. Lots of things that I had no idea he was involved in. I think he also has a brief cameo in one of the Transformers movies. Uh, I think you're right. I don't know how I have that knowledge. I genuinely have no idea. I actually do. I do believe you're right. I think I saw that. Holy shit. <laughs> what is my mind? What is your mind? Uh, well, how about you uh, let us know what's going through your mind? Okay, yeah. Well, notably, um, as I alluded to at the beginning, um, I do have a biased opinion about the 2005 film because either the first time or one of the first times I watched it, I believe I was homesick and mildly feverish. So if there has ever been the worst possible movie to see while mildly feverish, I've had a notorious streak when I was younger, apparently, of just watching movies when I really should not have watched them. Like that, I've watched this one. Before that, I had seen the the Cat in the Hat movie. Oh, good God. Um, yeah, I was like not fully in my faculties for either of those, and those are two of the worst movies to not watch in full faculties. <laughs> Why didn't you just watch Jeopardy and Judge Judy like the rest of us? I don't know, because I didn't know most of the answers. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to play this, so I don't know what the answers are. It sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, and like, you know, I'd usually watch stuff like 
modern marvels or something but most of the time it was just like fucking ancient aliens and i was just like i don't want to watch this yeah, turn this um, shit off and I just like I started watching it and I just couldn't stop and I just I really didn't it's one of those things where you don't realize you're hurt until you kind of like stop and you move and you're like I'm not okay <laughs> <laughs> um so it wasn't until like years later when I watched it again that I really genuinely watched it rather than like was subjected to it <laughs> um <laughs> so obviously so you know take my opinions with a mild grain of salt as someone who has just got, had like a weird impression out of it from the word go um that being said rewatching it for this i there's a lot more merit to it than i remembered i expected going to go into this like with a very heavy-handed like yeah no fuck this movie um but i was honestly kind of surprised i forgot how much heart it can kind of have um insane even compared to the original which like is weird to say because i know the whole thing of it's like oh yeah it's meant to be about generosity and not being a greedy little shit um but you know just like when i actually went into the details for wonka's life i was like oh i kind of forgot about that (laughs) and obviously yes i think i had the exact same reaction as you whenever i saw it again i was like christopher fucking lee (laughs) not only and they make him out to be this mythical monster almost because yeah he Okay, so, I mean, the movie's weird, and the original, like, the original Willy Wonka and the book, they're weird, too. They have, like, these fantasy elements, but everything having to do with Christopher fucking Lee, I felt was too outlandish for the movie. I mean, he's sort of like a cartoon villain throwing shit and throwing all of this candy into a fire, which is one thing. Like, at least a person could do that, but... Wonka leaves home and comes back and the entire building, which is wedged between other buildings, is just gone. And then at the yeah, end of the top, movie, a... he moved to the top of, like, Mount Everest or something and is still expecting visitors? Yeah, like, it's a, like we should note, it's a townhouse, like, where it's literally connected to all, it's like one of those, like, you know, British industrial towns where all the buildings, all the homes are literally connected together. And it just, like, completely fucks off. Yeah, it's just like it's gone, and it's just in the middle of a snowy, like rocky field at the end when they meet him again. Um, as you know, he's this you know his dad's a dentist. There's this whole thing of like you know Wonka can't eat candy when he's a little kid because he has all these like because his dad's paranoid about his dental health and all this sort of stuff. And then he just moves the whole office and home out to the middle of nowhere and still like receives patients apparently that was the thing i assumed he moved out there like out of frustration or to like retire or something i saw this movie when it first came out i saw it in theaters actually i remember it uh quite vividly but i i on rewatching it i didn't remember a lot of these details and i was like oh yeah he's doing that to like get away from his life or whatever he's disappointed but no they they show up to the door and he's like do you have an appointment like, who the fuck has an appointment? Where where are we? <laughs> it feels it's it feels like very British humor where it's like, oh yeah, no, that's just what a uh you know, that's just like a British dentist would do that, and British patients would still go there. Also, quick side note, why the fuck does Willy Wonka not have a British accent? I want to he say de- that it's because he wanted to get away from that life and because he tried to travel all over the world and whatever, but he didn't really have it when he was a kid either. He did. He he did have a pretty significant one compared to like adult version. I don't remember. I, yeah. I don't recall that at all. I mean, his well, he had shit in his kid, mouth. He, exactly, it wasn't easy. Um, <laughs> that's that's but fair. Like, 
the more I think about it, the less sense it makes. Because, like, also, Johnny Depp is English. So, like, he could do the accent. He just decided to do the really creepy child predator voice. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny enough because I think he actually brought that up in an interview because someone was comparing, like, his portrayal. I think it was a review from a critic or something was comparing his portrayal of Willy Wonka to Michael Jackson. And Johnny Depp was like, look, Michael Jackson likes kids. My my interpretation of Willy Wonka hates kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, it's it is a notable comparison, though. So, also my freaking voice is cracking so much. It's That's like, all right. I, I sound like Willy Wonka. God. <laughs> um. So I'll I'll take it a bit, even though I was chiming in on the Christopher fucking Lee thing. But <laughs> we'll we'll get, we'll come back to that at many points. I'm sure. Uh, quite possibly. Um, so, as I mentioned at the top of this before we started recording, and briefly before we went into the plot, I think, I'm sort of conflicted on this because I remember disliking it a lot more um, than I actually do. And and mm. like I said, I saw it in theaters, and it really bothered me when I was watching it in theaters. Yeah. And I attribute that, having rewatched it now... And being a fan of horror, and this movie has a lot of horror elements. Um, oh, yeah. Like, plenty like of the burn body stuff. horror Yeah. Like, the body horror stuff at the end? Like, my God. Like, I, I was going to say it at some point. You and I both listened to the entirety of the Magnus Archives, and that scene at the end creeped me out more than anything in the Magnus Archives. <laughs> <laughs> I am not, I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say this. The one, th- the two things that I remembered about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory even though I saw it one time in theaters back in 2005, the the two things that have stuck with me is Willy Wonka's little rhyme that he makes up about chewing gum because it was in the fucking trailer. And then the ending scene with the kids walking out of the factory. I, I think about a lot. Like, a lot yeah. more than than I think about most movies, I think. And it's, it's just imagery that sticks with you. And I actually think that's a good thing. Um... I think the thing that bothered me as a kid and still kind of bothers me now is the environment. I like the the factory in the 71 version more. It's it's just more yeah. whimsical whereas the 2005 one there's some whimsy, but it's it's more like an actual factory. It's it's way more sterile and there's there's silver and chrome and white everywhere and I'm like ugh, I I, I can't get into it all that much. Honestly, gave me a lot of vibes of um, we talked about it before control. Yeah, um, yeah. Of just this like infinite eldritch building that just kind of defies all physics for apparently no reason. Like it seems like like it seemed like all the justifications they had in the original with the factories and everything they at least seem kind of fun and everything where it's like oh they just have these big setups but there's a literal honest to god mountain inside the. 2005 factory that they're just like mining chocolate off of which it's like yeah fudge mountain how it's like okay so this literally is just a series of portals then this isn't in a factory because like (laughs) unless there was a fudge factory or a fudge mountain on the site of this factory when you built it that makes even less sense than the rest and of this. It, and it must be partially underground with its own climate and yeah. sort of atmosphere. And also, hold on, he says that that's Fudge Mountain, and Augustus Gloop goes to the Fudge Room. Is that the Fudge Room, or are there two different Fudge Rooms? 
Is Augustus Gloop on that mountain? Yeah, see, it's like, here we are, you know, arguing the (laughs) metaphysics of, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that is firmly established that it just does not care. But it's just that it's so many other cases, they do kind of set up rules for the situation. It's just, it's so back and forth that it's, it it really just kind of adds to that feeling of just, I'm trying to just like that, like that slight offness from reality that always kind of gets me. Like, I like it when it's kind of in an entertaining sense. Like, I've been listening to um, Welcome to Night Vale mm-hmm. now. Because that one's actually... That one's fun. And and that one's obviously... The whole plot of it is town where reality is not quite right. But it's done in kind of this whimsical kind of funny way. More than any kind of... Like, any kind of creeping dread. But just like how you put it, you know... The sterility and the kind of just overall bleakness going on in 2005's Wonka is... It just adds to this whole feeling of um, just offness, and I'm, there's another word for it that I can't quite put my tongue on, but it can't put my tongue. It's at the tip of my I'm tongue, sorry. and I can't put my finger on it. My God, that is the. Uh, <laughs> well, I I don't yeah. know what word you're thinking of, but like I said, it, it to me it's un- surreal. surreal. Oh, okay. It. To me, it's just unsettling. It it the uh, environment and, yeah, and, just and unsettling rubs me the wrong way. I will say, Fudge Mountain excluded. They did actually, I did actually audibly laugh at some of the glass elevator stuff because I think they get two good jokes out of it. They, oh yeah, they go it, through a, I... a a puppet burn ward, and at the very end, right before they exit the room, he <laughs> Depp's Wonka sort of makes an aside like, "This is this is a new area. This was just put in because you know the puppets just got burned at the start of the movie, and then we have to sit yeah. through Fudge Mountain." Um, but then we get another joke where they just go into this like small administrative office with the with like I guess female Oompa Loompas in sweaters. I I thought that was funny. I, I was, I like that. Yeah, there are like it, they do have fun with it. I do you know I don't mean to you know dump on it as much as I am. Like the, the glass elevator sequences, I think really are really like well made for the two thousand five. I think it does it a lot does a lot more with it than you know the original did right <laughs> which obviously they just you know, have technology it at the end differences too exactly and so this one is like okay cool it's actually kind of showing how truly balls to the wall this factory is so it's like i definitely appreciate it it's just there are certain moments of it where i'm like okay I, I, somehow this movie of no rules is still somehow breaking its own rules sometimes right i just uh, i i don't it's... think i liked I didn't really like any of the the main set pieces in the factory, I guess, is my primary gripe. I think they had a lot of fun locations that we didn't see a lot of. But all the places we spent Mm. prolonged time in, I didn't really care. Funnily enough, I remember actually playing... There was a movie tie-in video game for this that actually (laughs) wasn't terrible. (laughs) And it actually does explore a lot of the extra rooms and everything. So it's like, oh, okay, it's kind of fun. That's cool. So like, I I have not played it, but I own it on GameCube, and I'm looking at it on my shelf right now. Oh my god, really? Maybe I should play. I have a huge wall of video games, Stu. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> but yeah, no, like it was decent fun to my memory. So I was like, if you want to know more about it, just play that then. <laughs> All right, that I'll have to do. I'll have to do that. But um. Leaning back towards, because we're, I feel like we're, you know, obviously, fish around, fish in a barrel for all the weird things going on in 2005. I'm going to lean on a couple of gripes I actually have for the original. Thank, thank um, you, because I definitely yeah. have some. I, the, 
characters, with the exception, I think, honestly, of um, I have completely forgotten her name. The the spoiled girl, um, Veruca. Veruca, thank you. I, with the exception of her, I think all the other characters in it are, and and the exception of Wonka, obviously, mm-hmm. um, all the other characters are pretty flat. Um, like Veruca is just like just so just immediately feral like she just woke up and is like just chose violence immediately <laughs> and i can at least appreciate that where it's like okay yeah let's just this is not let's just not go for it it's just you know it immediately is just like in the room and basically commands the space um and you know wonka is gene wilder and it's like you know god bless that maniac of a man right um but otherwise, everyone else was honestly really freaking forgettable. Like, especially, like, a lot of the side characters, which, is, like, obviously, that that's kind of obvious. But even comparatively, like, Charlie's mom, I completely forgot she has a whole song at the beginning. Yeah. And, and I've barely remembered it now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I feel like we're putting a lot of effort into all these extra characters that didn't actually go much of anywhere. And, you know, the obvious one also being, you know, Grandpa Joe, but that's for other reasons. Um, yeah, he's an asshole. But yeah. So I, I just I really actually do love the characters in the 2005 one. I think they have so much like life and vim to them that I'm just like, I can't look away. I I'll so I will I will agree with you on the 2005 one. I think it has a lot. I think the characters just in general are characterized better. They have a lot more personality. Mm. Even the parents have more uh, personality. Uh, with the exception, I don't want to leave them out. In the 71 version, I agree on Veruca. I agree on Wonka. We may not agree on this point, but I actually really like Roy Kinnear as Veruca's father. I think he's re- I think he's really funny. They they he's sort of this blustering personality, and it's it's still just the rich asshole that gives everything to his daughter, but I think he has a lot of funny asides. And sometimes when Gene Wilder was saying his lines, I would just watch him because he'd be, like, making faces. I don't know. I, I had fun with him. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. I think I just didn't pay as much attention to him. So, like, I yeah, I can, I definitely trust your opinion on it. Um, Yeah, that, but, yeah, that, that, that does sound about right. Just He's just kind of... It, it's always fun having the straight-laced rich dick in comparison to all of as kind of the foil to all just the silly happenings. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens a bit in the 2005 one, but I think that the, you know, the dad character is just not as great. Um, I think a bit too bumble and not not bumbling, but kind of blustery, I guess. Yeah. He, very he's modern, very modern, rich versus older rich. <laughs> yeah. He's very more uh, stereotypical though. I will say the 2005 one, as long as we're talking about characters, I think that it made Veruca's character better, Just the, not yeah. not necessarily because I think I think that I prefer the original Veruca performance, but the actual characterization mm-hmm. I think it improved on it, and it vastly improved on Violet's actual character as well. Um, yeah, the fact that she has one. <laughs> yeah, she she has more drive. Her and her mother are like these really competitive. Uh, I want to say athletes, but they're not really athletes. They, like, chew gum and... Well, I guess she does... It shows uh, Violet doing karate. So, yeah, they're they're just really competitive people. Um, She's meant to be, like, that very, you know, 
trophy winner child you know yeah they i i enjoy that take on it and it kind of it, it improves on it because i i get the you know the book was written by Roald Dahl forever ago and the movie was made in the 70s so all these kids are committing sins like you know this one's a sloth and he watches too much tv this one's a glutton this one's a brat and this one chews gum you know the the four <laughs> the four worst evils that you I could think, imagine. Yeah, I think in this one, it's I think it, I think Veruca's or um, not Violet's meant to be. Like, I think Pride. Yeah, there there there's much more actually there. Uh, Grandpa Joe is sloth. <laughs> and um, real quick, I I do want to talk about Grandpa's show, so we should probably talk about him. But I do want to say for Violet's character, yeah, a... I I think that they there's there's more there because we get to see more of her actual interaction we don't even we don't get to see that much of the nut factory compared to the first one we spend a lot of time there uh but as far as how she interacts with wonka how she she has like this little side competitive relationship with violet going on um yeah and as much as i do like the geese in the 71 version the squirrels cracking nuts I think is much more apt and fits a lot better thematically with Veruca and her problems. And hell, the fact that the salts themselves actually own a nut factory. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that it's fits like, a lot better. It's like dramatic irony or whatever. Yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, they definitely actually have some agency and some actual, you know, come up and rather than just like okay just bad kid does bad thing and gets punished it, exactly yes um but it's got it's got <laughs> themes i i i so i just talked a lot about the kids i think we have similar thoughts on this so i don't think there's going to be a lot of back and forth here but i'm gonna let you go why do you dislike grandpa or uh, uncle? yes let's gather whatever let's gather around this barrel with some rifles um uh, <laughs> uh i mean it really just is like it is just the like stereotypical one that ever, I'm sure everyone has mentioned to death at this point. It's just that you know his character is just a bag of dicks. <laughs> it's just like this this whole situation of this uh, him apparently being bedridden until he gets something that's even slightly selfishly you know aggrandizing. Um, something that's not cabbage water. Ex- yeah, exactly. And he just kind of immediately usurps it from the mom who's been busting her ass. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I know it's meant to be kind of this emotional heart thing of like, oh, you know, he's actually got some childlike joy back in him. At least in the 71 one. In the, in the 2005 one, it really mostly is just like, oh, cool, I gotta go visit my boss again. Uh, I think that they so did like, that to try and fix it. I think they thought they were making his character better. Because even like the mother, the mother offers it to the father, and the father's like, "I think Joe should go." So, so now it's not Uncle Joe usurping it. You know, he has permission. It's better because yeah. Dad says that he knows the factory that he worked in like thirty years ago or something. Twenty right. twenty years ago, I guess. So, and like ultimately, I just so much of it i just i can barely remember the characterization of him with whatever which you know if with each respective actor playing him because i just genuinely it's so tainted by the fact that this character's just a it's just human garbage <laughs> it's just like i can't respect him and so like the, I, so much of it i just i want to be able to have a more complex opinion about it but the other hand i really don't and you know what I, i'm gonna agree i'm gonna say i like the i like grandpa joe uncle joe whatever in 71 more 
Because yeah. I think that they messed him up in the 2005 one because they, they tried to fix him and they tried to give him more reason. Like, he, he worked with Wonka and he worked at the factory and, mm-hmm. you know, now he doesn't anymore. But that doesn't go anywhere. The most we get out of it yeah. is, like, him confronting Wonka at the very beginning of the, you know, when they first get to the factory and Wonka's like, uh, were you trying to steal my secrets? No, I was a good one. Oh, okay, we have no problems. There was no follow-up there. He's not like, no, remember you hatched a chocolate you hatched a chocolate bird in my mouth, remember? There was there was nothing else there. It's just dropped. God, that is God, that is a weird sentence. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how to make that sentence weirder than what it actually is. God, this two thousand five movie's weird, man. And like just all the different scenes in it, like they had the the flashback scene where he goes to Oompa Loompa Land and all this stuff going on. I'm just just watch. Even thinking back on it, it still feels like it's in a fever haze. You know, you know uh, a big problem. Again, shooting fish in a barrel. I like this movie. I like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but it just there's a lot of things wrong with it, and just. Why was this like a kid's movie? I remember like gagging in the theater when he slices that yeah. bug and licks the knife. I don't want to see that. I'm a grown adult and I don't want to see that. Yeah. And like there's obviously been lots of movies in the past, especially Tim Burton ones that have kind of pushed that line of oh what's really like actually quite kid appropriate. And you know, and very often you know, we're often I think I think it was Neil Gaiman who said it when he wrote about he wrote Coraline is that when I wrote Coraline kids who read it had an adventure but adults that read it had nightmares <laughs> um and that's very often the case but this time around it really does feel like it's very hard gone over the line of this is just creepy and disconcerting (laughs) like i genuinely like this genuine i'm pretty sure this must have unlocked an early desire for an or early love of horror for me because like those it's got all the themes of horror that i love like that kind of unsettling nature of it that you know obviously the reason i like control so much is just that whole you know sterility meets the absurd kind of thing um and it's all there but it's done in such a way that it genuinely unsettles me and so it's like it's like it's weird seeing bits of my origin story just kind of like fleshed out before <laughs> me. It's so it's so strange because like you know I've only very recently like gotten very legitimately into more horror aspects like especially with Magnus, um, and now that this has come back into my life with this, I'm just like, <laughs> wow, it's it's come home to roost. <laughs> It's it's so strange, Stuart. This is your life. Oh God! I want to. I I remember when I first watched the original one. I was with my grandma and everything. It was really fun. It was whimsical. It was kind of silly. And it's like that was the origin story for you know the lighthearted movies that I like. I. Ugh. It's it's yeah it's something. I I just hmm. So going back to this, I I told you. Actually, I told everyone because it made it on the podcast. I think two episodes ago I said we would be covering something soon, which sort of broke my I'm a big fan of movies from the 70s rule because we were going to talk about one that I'm not a huge fan of. And although I like elements of it, at the end of the day, I'm really not a big fan of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. 
and on this really on this revisit i found more of it too like i so it takes us about 50 minutes into the movie to actually get to the factory there's a lot of build-up yeah my god 70s movies with their pacing man (laughs) so we're probably going to disagree heavily on this. I like the build-up to the factory a lot more than I actually like anything that happens in the factory, I think. At least oh, really? in the 71 version. I think, excluding Gene Wilder, just I'm going to leave him off the table for now because I think he does a yeah. great job and he brings a lot of energy to it. But yeah, sort we, of, we both pretty firmly agree there. Sort of what you were mentioning with Veruca and Wonka being the only two that weren't flat... We spend so much time with these flat, boring characters in the factory, and it gets kind of grating. And and, and the moments with Charlie in his house and the song that his mother sings, whatever, they're really sleepy and boring. They they you know they put me to sleep. But everything mm. else, there's all these chaotic scenes that I really enjoy. Again, I love chaos. There's all these chaotic scenes I really enjoy about people on the hunt for these tickets that have nothing to do with anything else in the movie. Like, a scientist makes a machine to find the tickets and the machine starts rebelling, or a wife whose husband has been kidnapped and wants her box of Wonka bars. I don't know. I like that stuff. I find it funny. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, honestly, it's weird that I kind of glaze over those. I do do, kind of forget about those. And, yeah, that is... That is a good point. That does is comparatively kind of off the wall compared to a lot. Of, like it, it gets weirdly tame once you get into the factory. Yeah, there's all this goofy kinda, nonsense happening. Even with the teacher who's like canceling class because of the chocolate bar hunt, and he he's really energetic. But you get to the factory, and it's like, well, I'm with all these characters that don't give a shit. Yeah, they just kind of settle into the groove of it. And it's like okay, this is what everyone was waiting on. It's like so, so it's not. It's a, it's a series. It's a part of the movie where they kind of do have to go start going through the motions of like what happens, but everything leading up to that, they can have some fun with. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think that's true because then it's like okay, it's book time. We spent forty five minutes sort of elaborating on two chapters of the book. Now we got to do everything else. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Uh, don't let that taint. Don't let that taint your opinion in any way, because if you didn't I mean, like, enjoy it, you didn't enjoy it. But I definitely, I mean, did. I definitely enjoyed it. I yeah. just, I just didn't put as much creams into it as I think I should have. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty interesting. Dang, now I'm conflicted. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's like, man, I curse our ability to change each other's opinions with genuine good commentary. <laughs> um. But when I when I say that, when I when I say you know the sterility of the factory and whatever for both versions, uh, one in tone and the other in appearance. I mean, mm. I think just the fact that they do more outside of the book, they try to add more gags and aspects to the factory, like Fudge fucking Mountain and whatever, and all the backstories. Mm. I I think in the two thousand five one that that sort of lends more to the actual plot of the chocolate factory, you know, that you get to explore and all that. Even though a lot of the beats are still pretty similar. And it's, it is not afraid to just go for it in a lot of those scenes where it's just, it's just like, you know, the scene of just like each of the, you know, kids going through their horrific, either 
either traumatization or transformations um or and very often both um is that it really like you know even like leading up to the just straight up body horror at the end it is not afraid to kind of push it and just jump a shark or two yeah <laughs> which is at least respectable at times i'm just like I, it's hard to watch especially the violet scene where i'm just like holy oh, yeah yeah <laughs> um but well dang it all jake <laughs> sorry <laughs> i was going into this with i mean like it's i mean it's, i mean don't be sorry i mean like it, it's you know this is what this is what the sh- whole show's about really <sighs> yeah i just i expect to go into this just like reliving that early fevered nightmare nightmare filled nights that i had after this movie and now here i am like dang it if it didn't have the balls to do some crazy stuff <laughs> So, so two two more things uh, that I guess we can sort of go back and forth on whether we agree or disagree, um, mm. but just to put it up front, another thing that I like about the two thousand five version over the seventy one version, I like the the Oompa Loompa songs better specifically. I really like all of the non Oompa Loompa songs in the seventy one version, like the Candyman song and you know some of the little ditties that Gene Wilder sings. Uh, ignore Charlie's mother's song because that's boring. But um, yes. I don't know. They 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 take it to some interesting places. I think in the two thousand five one, there's like a Beatles parody, and there's like they're dance they're dancing on the catwalk. All these different things are flooding in my mind, and I guess that's another yeah. thing of like taking risks. Um, that being said, a big negative I have. For the 2005 one, and this may be another shoot fish in a barrel moment, and it's a pretty big one. I do not, I just don't like Johnny Depp in that role. I really don't. Yeah. I don't. It's, it, it, you know, we, we can dance around that as much as possible, but yeah, he's just not, it just doesn't work. Like, I can say as many different things about it, but I just, he just doesn't work it for me. Yeah, it's just I cannot look at this guy and just be anything other than just kind of weirded out. I I don't know. It, it's fine to take a character in a different direction, especially when you're, you know, you're coming hot off the heels of Gene Wilder's interpretation, especially if you don't want to try to copy that. But mm. the direction he took it in, I don't understand. Yeah. Hey. This definitely feels like one of those moments where like, Johnny Depp was just trying to be very Johnny Depp, which is to say, whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that actually went in a direction it should have this time around. Because it, it very often, I'm realizing more and more, I don't necessarily like Johnny Depp all that much, with the obvious exception of Jack Sparrow. Um, just because that's just fun. <laughs> um, I agree. But I'm try- honestly trying to think about like other movies with him in it, and I'm just like, I don't really like much of his stuff at all. I think I might want to watch a lot of his earlier stuff because I'm sure that's a bit more not not tame, but definitely it has like it's not as like into the period where he's just kind of being weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all the stuff I've seen of him and a lot of other movies I even haven't seen and I've just heard reputations of it's just kind of not good. <laughs> It's, he's yeah. He's got a reputation that I do not know he deserves anymore. <laughs> it's been a while, I think, since I've seen him in some other stuff. I I remember liking him in Sweeney Todd, but 
Yeah, that, that one might be it. And even yeah. then, a lot of that was Helena Bonham Carter. True. Hmm. I'll have to analyze this more in thought. But actually, some interesting trivia that I did end up reading. I don't know if you also saw this, but this sort of screenplay for this adaptation made it around or was circling around executives for a while. And Tim Burton was not on it for quite a bit. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of other directors and these different directors were like, oh, we should get Nick Cage to be Willy Wonka. And Nick Cage oh was like, God. Nick Cage was like, uh, I'm not doing that. And then another director was brought oh. in, and he's like, I want Jim Carrey. And they didn't even get so far as to ask Jim Carrey. So, <laughs> <laughs> my God, Nick Cage is Willy Wonka. Oh my God, that would have been insane. I mean, obviously, it makes sense that he didn't accept it. That's definitely not his his thing. Somehow, <laughs> but <laughs> so the idea of there being something that Nick Cage isn't a thing for, but like this somehow makes sense. Right, um, and then and then I think the third director they brought on was Tim Burton, and immediately Tim Burton said Johnny Depp to the surprise of no one. But yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> him having joint custody with Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's, yeah, you know, this is like, let me check off obvious joke. <laughs> um, yeah, nah, it's just I honestly I. The, to be fair, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna pose a question to you. Okay. Who do you think would have been good in this role? Because honestly, I'm thinking about it. I don't know if anyone would have been good in this role. This is very particular. As a follow up to Gene Wilder, I have no exactly. idea. Especially at the time, I can think of a lot of things that would be interesting or funny. Like I think, I don't know, Tommy Lee Jones would have had a very dark interpretation a very stoic interpretation that might have been humorous i don't know i guess I'm, th- well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that'd be perfect i can't think of anyone that would fit the energy of gene wilder specifically weirdly like in kind of a different direction i'd almost say john goodman might have been pretty good hmm i think he has the energy not necessarily like the manic energy but i definitely think he has the kind of just overall energy and like kind of range as a person to be able to pull it off pretty well it'd obviously be a departure from the original character a bit but i think he'd do it actually pretty well uh, I, I can see that you know what i can definitely see that yeah that would have been pretty fun you know what randy quaid i think <laughs> yeah that's, that's actually pretty good i actually too. think that might be that might have been fun uh, that, <laughs> I, I think you kind of nailed it Oh my God! Randy Quaid and John Goodman. Yeah, it's, as it's, brothers they're both, Wonka. They're both. They 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 both show up interchangeably, and it's never elaborated on. It's just not explained. You know what? That would have fit with the rest of the fucking movie. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. He's just John Goodman oh now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Young Wonka is John Goodman. Old Wonka is Quaid. <laughs> Do you mean like a kid with John Goodman's head CG'd over the kid? Or do you mean like adult John Goodman in kid clothes? I would want adult John Goodman in kid clothes, but I know the movie would do John Goodman's head CG'd on a child. Oh, this is uh, a lot darker than the movie I watched. Oh, God. Somehow. We've definitely we've definitely waffled pretty hard now. That was not my intention. <laughs> but like 
but I, I'm glad we did. That's evoked my next sleep paralysis demon. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh. so, so do, do you have any other any other final thoughts? Setting, characters, soundtrack, anything? I mean, like you pretty much hit it on the head. The same for me with the soundtrack. Like, I definitely like the extent, like you know, ex, like kind of the extent songs in the original. Um, you know. Pure Imagination is still phenomenal, and it's uh, it will always be one of my favorite film songs. It's a great song. Um, but otherwise, I really don't think I, I, I think we 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 mesh up pretty well. It's just it's more kind of our just our origins with these movies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like my general opinion of just like this sort of film as as it is. But even then, like now, I'm like, man, I don't know what the hell I I, I think because like. I can't say I wasn't entertained by the 2005 one. I give it more shit than it really deserves. It definitely was... It, it, I mean, like, so much happens in it, it's impossible to not be at least engaged. Um, And that I cannot even say that much for the original, because there are just so many moments, like you said, it just drags on kind of hard. And, you know, and I made the joke of it, like, you know, 70s movies just really don't have the best sense of timing and pacing with a lot of them that you know that we're very you know spoiled to nowadays yeah um, there, there's tons of weird things where that shines through too not to sidetrack completely but something that just popped up into my mind that i took mental note of like when they first get on the hell boat in the 71 version they start i love that that's your term for it they, they start they start rowing towards the tunnel and it briefly cuts to um oh 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 who is it that man, Vi- I guess it's Violet's father, uh, the car dealer, turns towards Veruca's father and he's like, so what do you do? And Veruca's father goes, nuts. And then it cuts back to Wonka and I was like, what the fuck was that? And, and <laughs> there's numerous times where things like that happen. And I was like, I, that didn't even feel like it's a like, joke. What was that? It's like moving right along. <laughs> I think they just wanted the chance to just say that. <laughs> nuts i can see that i can i can yeah that's probably what it was <laughs> the last the last point or i guess question i'll ask is which of the hellboat rides did you prefer <laughs> i i prefer the 71 version yeah it's i think i still it's, like it's, it it's, it's it is just so feral and it's just like it just is like comes out of nowhere <laughs> It's like it, it's like the seventy one version is intentionally trying to upset everyone, whereas the the two thousand five one they just sort of turned it into a roller coaster. Yeah, I think that's. I think that I think it was another one of those moments where they tried to fix it from the original. Where it's like I think people genuinely just got scared. Yeah, in the original. <laughs> but in that case, I was like, you know what? This is this is about as insane as this movie's gonna get. So screw it. Yeah, and then of course you know they stretch children to ungodly sizes and remove all the bones of another one so you know where yeah. where are your priorities on at least one of them it's just kind of like okay it's just like okay and that happened whereas now it's like oh these this is a lasting consequence and is a sin against nature yes <laughs> it's like god i yeah no I, yeah that that scene alone it just is it taints it enough for me because i'm like I, I know it's meant to be crazy in that moment but it just it's a bit too crazy (laughs) i get that though i will say i read the again i'm not trying to waffle i i think this is a pertinent point though i read the book 
in elementary school, which was an eternity ago. So I don't remember all the details, but I do recall that actually seeing like stretched mic TV and like the kids exiting the factory being altered is actually present in the book. So that I'm not surprised by. Yes. But the fact of the matter is that since that's in a kid's book, like silly stuff like that, like in when it's a, in a more kids oriented book, them just saying that on the page I imagine it just comes off more as silly than anything, but then when you have to actually witness it with your own eyes, and if this movie were way more cartoony than it were, it probably would have come off fine. I wouldn't have thought it was that weird, but the fact that it was so... that there were so many emotional, like, low points and, like, genuine core like, character developmental moments that it just shows up and then this is there, it just adds that feeling of reality to it that is just very disconcerting yeah i know what you mean if tom and jerry were in there i'd be laughing my ass off oh yeah and i think thank you for reminding me that there's an entire movie of tom and jerry just in the background of <laughs> literally charlie you know Willy wonka and the charlie chocolate factory <laughs> you know that's so weird you know what we've we've danced around it a bit and now we finally started talking about it the the scene at the end in the 2005 one kind of pisses me off actually because all the kids are altered except for the salts who are i think the worst offenders they're just dirty and smelly yeah i think that sucks yeah (laughs) Yeah. they should have been at least a little singed from like the you know incinerator yeah they actually (laughs) did get burnt well i guess they explained that it was broken so oh yeah it was clogged or whatever yeah (sighs) yeah oh well well, you know, <laughs> I what well, I think we've kind of danced around it well enough at this point of I will let you give your final opinion pieces of it before I do, because I, I am still not fully decided. OK, this I, I entered conflicted and I'm still kind of conflicted saying this, but I think I made my final decision. I think that. 71's Willy Wonka has a lot of great elements. I think it has the definitive Willy Wonka as well. And I think altogether, it's a just a better movie. Uh, but I liked watching Charlie and the Chocolate Factory more. I liked watching the 2005 version more. Even for its goofy yeah. flaws, for its insane set pieces, its skips in logic, and fucking, we mentioned it on the Alice in Wonderland episode, but Danny Elfman has been making the same music since the late 90s, which bothers me. I mean, all the Oompa Loompa songs are great because they're all these takes on different genres, but I cannot get into the new actual theme for the movie just because it's the same shit we've been hearing Elfman do for a while now. Like a haunting chorus of screaming people going, I can't do it. Just the distinct feeling that Danny Elfman probably needs some therapy. (laughs) Yes. Well, man, I know you don't like talking about Oingo Boingo, but honestly, that that and the Simpsons thing, theme are my favorite things that you've done. And those <laughs> stopped in, like, 1991. So. Yeah. Sorry, it's man. Like, I, will never for, I will never forgive you for cre- creating the aesthetic that was the Hot Topic obsession of, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. But, like, at least it peaked there. Oh, like, that's can, true. <laughs> that That was the peak for me. I guess because yeah. I I do like the music in that movie, but still. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's that's sort of my final my final piece on that. Even for all its flaws, I think I like the new one more. 
I, I and like I said, I don't even think it's a I don't even think it's a better movie. I just I just enjoyed it more. Yeah. And I have many of the same points, and that's kind of you know uh, you know obviously we we tend to we tend to share in many of those, but for me it really does come down to both of them are flawed, and both of them have great moments. I could not look away from the two thousand five one, but it, that is still obviously in the sense of like watching a, a car crash. It's just like it's so weird and it's so enthralling that I just can't tear away from it. I do not want to watch it again. It has been, I, and that is kind of the ultimate thing of it. I love the 71 version just because I think Gene Wilder's a nut and I love him. I think the music when it's done well is, is charming and enchanting and it just, it lends itself to the overall theme of the whole movie. And obviously the 2005 one does as well. It's just, I don't necessarily like that whole theme of the movie. Right. Right. And I just, I can't, just get that just general feeling of discomfort away whenever I watch the 2005 and it's I and I hate that I am, I'm like that because ultimately it is an entertaining movie but I just again I just I can't see myself actively watching it again I just I love the 71 version really to its core you know warts and all and just like for its own memories and everything so obviously take my opinion this time around with a grain with a decent packet of salt I should say um because a lot of it is basically just down to personal like feelings about the matter. Ultimately, the 2005 one I think is the is the is the winner for entertainment, but the 71 is a better made movie overall. I think I think it just had more effort going into it versus the 2005 one definitely was like it, there was a lot of the overall feeling of trying to fix things that the original movie did or they're mm-hmm. trying so hard trying to do their own thing that it just kind of gets lost in the you know the whole maze of the whole movie right and trying to fix things that weren't necessarily broken in the first place too right exactly yeah no i get that yeah but this time around you and i shall disagree we will disagree (laughs) yeah yeah i i couldn't quite break free of that original opinion i had it's like nah no i i like I like the 71. <laughs> this may, I think this is the first time in a very long time where I've preferred the remake and you've preferred the original. I know. Wow. <laughs> I think, and you had mentioned the other day um, when the last case was, but I genuinely can't remember it now. I think it was Little Shop of Horrors and that was like episode five. <laughs> oh, yeah. Five of fif- 52. <laughs> wow. We got a... <laughs> we got a quite the yeah every every like like ten times Jesus Christ yeah well most yeah most of those we either agree or I prefer the original you prefer the remake so I mean there can't yeah. be that many variations there's two of True. us yeah at one point we'll just have a movie where we don't like either of them <laughs> I've had a I've had a couple of movies like that where I was just genuinely like I don't like any of these and I think that was me with um uh like what was it. The Clash of the Titans. <laughs> oh God, I, that may be the only time that's happened to me. Yeah, I think. like I genuinely was just like I don't like either of these. Why did Why did we do this? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we wasted everyone's time. <laughs> oh man, I'm so upset. Oh God, yeah, this is. I I, I better not have weird dreams after this one. <laughs> it's like I don't want those to come back. <laughs> 
therapy's expensive. Just just think about the seventy one version. Just just keep thinking about that one. I don't know if that how much good that'll do you, but it'll at least keep the O five one at bay for now. Yeah, fair. It's like it's like ingesting a slightly less deadly poison to keep back the other poison. Yeah, and eventually you'll just become immune. That's what snake snake handlers do. Oh man. Well, um, do you? I've had a lot of hard opinions on this one. Oh, geez. I didn't mean to be so harsh this time around. Do you? Do you have any suggestions, Ethan? Oh my god, I, I have no earthy idea. <laughs> it's like this is these are two these two movies are so distinct in their own way. I could not possibly imagine what to suggest I, like maybe nightmare before christmas if you like the 2005 but that's kind of like you know uh, kind of implied obviously from like right off the bat right <laughs> but beyond that i genuinely have no idea i was gonna say strangely enough while i was watching the 2005 one i kept thinking of uh corpse bride which i haven't seen in a while oh um yeah. really just most of tim burton's stuff i mean Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, with the exception of Frank and Weenie. That one was weird. That was weird. Although, I actually, speaking of Frank and Weenie, uh, another thing, uh, the person who wrote the screenplay for the 2005 adaptation, John August, uh, I believe mm-hmm. he also wrote the screenplay for Frank and Weenie. Um, huh. But that aside, additionally, he wrote the screenplay for 2019's Aladdin, uh, which we didn't entirely dislike so no no it was okay yeah huh he gets around <laughs> and, and another thing uh. um if if you want another rolled doll adaptation i i haven't seen either version oh that's an episode we can do in the future uh but there's two versions of the witches out there um i haven't seen either oh. but and one just came out last year so with oh, wow. some pretty high profile names in it uh I think even Del Toro was attached. I don't. Uh, I should look into that. But holy crap! Wow. I, I don't remember. I don't remember much about it. But anyways, um, another Roald Dahl film adaptation that I really like is James and the Giant Peach. Oh yeah, I think that's a lot of fun. And it's got oh my god this this is just completely full circle the episode. But it, uh, Selleck is the one that did the uh, stop motion for it. He's also the one who did stop motion for. Nightmare Before Christmas, and he did stop motion for Coraline, which we mentioned both of those. So, wow. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Elfman also did the music for James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> I I don't I don't I do not know. I don't think he did because it's not a it's not necessarily a well, no there it's a musical isn't it? Aren't there songs? I can think of one. Yeah, maybe the Centipede has one that I'm not remembering, but. Anyway, <laughs> all of that aside, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of the just the vaguely, you know, potentially mildly traumatizing early childhood films. <laughs> the, those are all of our suggestions, I guess. A bunch of Burton shit and uh, a movie we covered like two months ago. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we're not quite chill level, but we're close. <laughs> I mean, we shilled for Blade Runner and Total Recall last time, I think true <laughs> not last time that was in the <laughs> robocop episode anywho <laughs> oh, moving man. right along i think i think uh we're on to uh socials now we've pretty well stated so. everything so uh go ahead and uh 
like, favorite, give us reviews, four stars, five stars, three stars on any of your podcasting platforms on which we're available. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play, we're on Spreaker, Podbay, I, iTunes is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, YouTube, even if you you know want to just sub to that channel there. I know some people listen and leave comments on YouTube. Um, we actually got a bizarre one like a couple days ago. Like, I got an email alert about it, and it was a time code in the episode. But when I went to go find the comment, I think it got deleted. So I don't know what that was about. Um, but we get stuff oh. like that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just so it's like, at this time, it's like, you, you, it might not have been a time code. It's just like, this is the date and time you will die. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> I just went there. I was like, oh, like, God, did I say something? Did I say something bad? But I couldn't find it, so. We definitely say some bad stuff. It's just it's all it's all like just stream of consciousness stuff. Pretty much, I try to I try to be good in editing. I don't I don't cut out a lot of thoughts. I don't cut out us being wrong, but I definitely remove yeah. the fluff. Um, yeah. So and stuff that every now and again we're just like that's too much. Yeah, I was like, eh, d- cut that out. <laughs> usually me. Oh. Usually can be because I usually say in the recording, can we not include that? And then I put it on my little notepad next, sitting next to me. <laughs> it's like, my, it's family members of mine apparently listen to this, so I'm like, crap. <laughs> no, 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 I shouldn't no, no, swear no. so much. Oh, Highlands. <laughs> but anywho, um, so, you know, all those aside, don't forget Anchor is our host. Anchor is a fantastic podcasting platform, and you can use it to... Uh, easily record your own podcasts and put them out there uh hashtag not an ad hashtag could be an ad um, <laughs> hashtag would like to be an ad <laughs> and go ahead and follow us at it remade on twitter and uh they remade it at instagram where uh post update i post updates uh regarding future episodes episodes we could do uh dates for when episodes are coming out full circle diagrams i put together what we've been watching suggestions we've made all those good things on both of those. And go ahead and shoot us an email at theyremadeit at gmail.com with any suggestions, feedback, commentary, hateful messages, anything that you want to send. I can guarantee I, re- I will read it. Um, and, I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah, we got yeah we got nothing better to do. Come on. <laughs> Tell us something. Please. We're so lonely. What am I doing? Not reading emails? I mean, come on. We're adults. All we do is read emails. I, I th- is what I should. It's what I should say in case my boss is. <laughs> I mean, that's literally about a quarter of my job. So. Yeah. It is on paper about a quarter of my job, but yeah, it's more like an eighth. <laughs> it could be worse. Yeah. Oh. But that that does it for our socials. Yes, I think that kind of rounds us out pretty well. You know, a lot of a lot of rehashing some old memories in my dark little brain i'm glad you got to relive that uh, yeah I'm, I'm sure i'll regret it <laughs> uh, i i need i need it like i kept telling myself oh man now that magnus archives is done i gotta find some other kind of creepy thing to you know consume like this and the monkey's paw curled <laughs> it's like dang it it was certainly a dry turkey sandwich that you just got with that <laughs> uh but yeah I think that kind of does it pretty well. I'm sure you know you you voiced all your opinions. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think that wraps us pretty nicely. So as always, 
I am your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And have a good night. And, you know, if my, if my therapist is listening, I will talk to you soon. <laughs> I don't have a therapist. <laughs> I'm so poor. What business, you insult? Nuts.